This podcast was recorded on Gubby Gubby Country. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional ancestors and custodians of this land and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. Support for Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted comes from Vetikinol. Vetikinol's contribution to the veterinary industry includes prescription and over-the-counter products, diagnostics, services, digital tools and, importantly, partnerships. Their three corporate values, trust, dare, and collaborate, work in synergy towards their mantra, achieve more together. Interrupted explores proactive ways forward for the veterinary industry, many of which align with those three Vetikinol values, trust, dare, and collaborate. Thank you, Vetikinol, for trusting me enough to dare to create this project. This collaboration helped me, a single parent vet nurse manager, make it financially possible to deliver this series to the global veterinary community. Without a doubt, we have achieved more together. This episode of Radio Vet Nurse discusses substance use disorder. If this is going to be triggering to you, you might want to sit this one out. Welcome to Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted. I'm Kat Walker. For those of you that have listened to my podcast in the past, you may have realized that this episode already sounds a little bit different. You see, the last time you heard from me was in December 2020, and a lot has changed since I hit publish on that last episode all those months, almost years ago, including my surname. In 2020, my life took a dramatic turn. I lived through a traumatic event. My whole family did. I went to ground and just survived. 18 months later, I'm ready to talk about what happened and where it sits in the big picture of our industry at the moment. When we look at the problem of mental health and veterinary medicine, specifically suicide, it's not even a shock anymore when it happens. It happens with such frequency. Really, the the shock isn't that it's happened. The shock is that it's happened again and still nothing has changed. My Radio Vet Nurse tribe knows snippets of my life from previous episodes, but I never told my story in full. We have some new listeners joining us now too, so it's probably time I share my story. I grew up in Wagga Wagga, the child of two teachers. Despite nearly topping my school in year 12, I spent the first year after high school working in bars and pubs, playing gigs, singing and playing guitar, and figuring out what I wanted to do. That year, I toured East Timor as a singer-dancer contracted to the Australian army band Kapuka. It changed me forever, so I want to paint the picture. In 1999, the UN held an independence referendum in East Timor. The votes were overwhelmingly in favour of independence, which led to violent clashes instigated by a suspected anti-independence militia. It sparked a humanitarian and security crisis in the region with many East Timorese killed and half a million people displaced. An international peacemaking task force intervened until the UN peacekeepers arrived in 2000. I was there in 2001 when the country was still in ruins, razed to the ground by the militia. The militia was still active and more than once we were ushered to safety due to gunfire or contact as it was called. All of the peacekeepers carried massive firearms and the other dancers and I were invariably handed someone's firearm to hold in a post-show photo. God, they were heavy. 
We toured all over the country, traveling in Hercules, choppers, tanks, and on the back of mog trucks. I wore army issue car keys and boots, carried my one bag, a mosquito net, and bedroll. It was hot and humid, dangerous, raw, hard, intoxicatingly foreign and exotic, and I adored every minute. I loved meeting the kids and learning Timorese. I was 18 and the experience changed me forever. Prior to the trip, I had no real gauge on humanitarian crises, international travel, or other cultures. I'd never done anything really hard before and didn't know I was capable. When I got home from the tour, I enrolled in a Bachelor of Arts majoring in International Studies at RMIT in Melbourne and moved there. I started to take overseas trips with friends multiple times a year. We were all poor students, but would buy discounted tickets with credit cards or our tax returns, and I'd take my guitar to busk or play gigs. I could do international travel on the smell of an oil rag. In my Melbourne years, I studied, played gigs, watched live music, drank beer, and ate many a late-night kebab at the Suvlaki King on Brunswick Street in Fitzroy. I finished my degree while working a job in before and after school care, plus managing a bar in Fitzroy on the weekend and doing an internship with a corporate social responsibility ratings firm in the city. I got a full-time job with the firm after graduating and continued part-time study completing my honours. In 2006, I came out of a long-term relationship and decided I was over the Melbourne weather. I moved to Brisbane, having never been there, purely chasing the sunshine. When I got to Brisbane, it immediately felt like home. I decided to go back to uni and do a three-year intensive graduate degree in law. I lived in West End, constantly playing gigs, jamming, and hanging out in the hood. The guys from the Chocolate Strings saw me playing in a bar and asked if I'd join their band. In Melbourne, I played alt-country music, but this was reggae, soul, Polynesian dub vibes. I was playing with them at Woodford when the guys from Dubmarine asked me to sing for one of their sets. I sang harmonies with Kazman, their indigenous vocalist and proud Gangaloo man. We both felt the sound waves of our voices lock in and reverberate in our heads. It's a weird experience that only other vocalists will know if they're lucky. It's really special. Love's around now. Dubmarine asked me to join their band and I spent the next three years touring with them all over Australia and overseas. The main song you're hearing in this series is a Dubmarine single recorded after I left the band. We were a nine-piece dub, dancehall, reggae, drum and bass band with a massive sound. I toured while studying law, working a part-time job as an assistant to a director of operations and busking in the subway tunnel at King George Square for extra money. I finished my law degree followed by my grad dip and was admitted as a solicitor. I kept touring while working as a lawyer, first in planning and environment and then litigation. Lawyering by day and touring by weekend was gruelling and I eventually burnt out. In my last year of touring, we travelled out of Brisbane 35 weekends of the year. I was tired from red-eye flights, late-night sets and tour buses. 
By then, I'd met the vet student I went on to marry, and we decided to move to far north Queensland for a proper crack at our careers, to save to buy a house, and think about having kids. I'd been a professional musician for 11 years, and music was the centre of my life since I was a teenager. It was a hard decision to leave the band at its peak, but I was ready to go out on a high. My ex and I had driven a combi van the whole way around Australia and loved the Atherton Tablelands in far north Queensland. So that's where we moved. He was employed as a vet and I got a job in a small law firm. The Atherton Tablelands is 1,700 kilometres north of Brisbane at 700 metres elevation up the mountain from Cairns. Imagine tropical, dramatic mountains, untouched rainforest, volcanic crater lakes and stunning waterfalls. The land is fertile and supplies food to the rest of the country, including bananas, mangoes, coffee, avocados, all of which you can buy by the side of the road in Honesty Box street stalls. You put the money in the box and take your produce. It was that kind of place to live, and within a couple of months of arriving, we were approached by a sole vet who wanted to sell us his practice and retire. He ran his practice out of a converted granny flat at his house in the middle of the rainforest. It was him, his neighbour who came over once a week as an unscrubbed assistant for surgery day, and his wife if needed. He didn't have a computer, and the client records were literally a box of reminder cards and a file of handwritten history cards. He wanted to purpose-build a new clinic in town, open there with him as the face of the business, and then sell it to us with him owning the building and retiring. I never wanted to work in veterinary medicine or own a business at that point. I'd had a really negative experience at the firm I worked at though, so I did consider it. But after meeting with the vet a few times, we backed off the idea. The thought of taking over a business without me being able to set up the administrative and operational side of things scared me, as did the idea of getting a loan and employing people. I'd been offered a position at another law firm nearby and was just about to accept, but the vet clinic opportunity felt too good not to consider. So I held off accepting the job offer and jumped online to look at commercial rental properties and, of course, the perfect building lay vacant in town. It was a beautiful 100-year-old Art Deco house. It had been used as consulting rooms for a human surgeon, so the renovations needed to get vet board approval wouldn't be radical. I knew that financially I'd need to work part-time for 6-12 to months while we got the business ready to open, and that I'd need to learn bookkeeping and accounting to run the business. So I called a local bookkeeper and asked if she had any positions vacant. She was shocked that a lawyer wanted to work as a bookkeeper, but told me, what a coincidence, one of her biotech company clients had a vacant position in accounts for someone who could interpret complex research partner contracts into milestone dates for invoices payable. We had already declined the vet's offer, but I called him and asked if he'd consider selling us just the client list and equipment without building the new premises or handing over a going concern. He said yes. I've always believed that the strings of the universe pull me where I'm supposed to go. Sometimes I can't feel them, but when I do feel that distinct pull of everything falling into place, I know that's where I should go. So I made the huge decision to put my career dream to the side and follow my husband's for a bit. I turned the law firm position down and started drawing up the contract to buy the business. 
We got the lease for the building and my planning and environment law background was handy for the long and protracted process of getting approval for the change of use. In the meantime, I started my certificate four in vet nursing so I could manage the nurses, did a TAFE course in computerized accounting and landed a part-time role at the biotech company in accounts payable. It took 11 months total to set up the business. We were held up by neighbors who opposed our town planning application. I eventually got the approval voted through by council and saved us a lot of money by doing it myself. This helped me realize that my legal skills were really transferable to setting up and running this business. We opened our doors in October 2013 and were a hundred times busier than expected. I'll never forget the first time I answered the phone. Someone wanted to book a spay. I asked if their dog was male or female. I literally knew nothing. I learned on the fly from experience, my team, my certificate for conferences and whatever reading material I could get my hands on. At first, I kept my legal practicing certificate going by volunteering with Cairns Community Legal Aid. The plan was to get the business up and running and then find somewhere to practice law a couple of days a week or even full time. But it quickly became obvious that I loved VET and that the business would be busy enough that we wouldn't need my second income as a lawyer. So I let my practicing certificate lapse. My then husband and I worked so hard establishing our clinic. In the early days, we had a Stevens in circle anesthetic machine, an app alert, cages, and some ancient instruments. We grew quickly and were soon able to buy more equipment and a rundown house on acreage to live in. We often literally slept at work because it was the pre good tick prevention days, and far north Queensland is tick heaven. When we were at home, we painted and renovated. We provided an on call service seven days a week with one vet and tried to grow the business as quickly as possible to the point of needing two. That's the hardest jump to make because you literally double your professional staff overnight, so you better have the revenue. The only way we could get there is to have our sole vet do the work of one and a half and even two vets for a while. In our second year open, we employed another vet for a while, but she moved into state and we were unable to recruit again. In our third year of business, I fell pregnant. I was working six days a week as the practice manager, a clinical nurse, and on reception. I thought I'd be back at the clinic after a few months, but once he arrived, I wanted to be at home for as long as possible. I extended my leave in one sense, but also worked the whole time. I was literally on the phone to Telstra while in labor, and from the day I got home from hospital did my usual payroll, accounts payable, bookkeeping, BAS, end of financial year, born 29th of June, thank you very much, first child, and HR. The best thing to come from extending my maternity leave in the sense of not coming back to the clinic is that it made me stop being a technician within the business, doing everything, to running the business and guiding others to do. I promoted a practice manager and became the general manager. I turned my attention towards marketing, culture, systemization, client experience, and our business was booming. I started the Radio Vet Nurse podcast when my eldest was six months old because I wanted to listen to a vet nurse podcast, but there were none. It was a monthly long-form interview podcast where I talked to my guests about their life, career, and advice on everything from wellness to clinical skills. It had been years since I left the band and doing something creative with audio felt great. We became a two-vet clinic again and I fell pregnant again. When I was pregnant with my second, our employed vet was in a bad car accident, so my ex was working crazy hours while she recovered. 
I felt like he was burning out and started suggesting we should sell the business and move back south. Our vet recovered from her accident. We recruited a third vet and were busier every day. We won business awards, kept renovating our house, and had our second baby. But my ex was not in a great way. Even as a three-vet clinic, he was on-call two in three because one of our vets couldn't face on-call. She had been abused by a client after hours in a previous job and nearly left the industry. She found even the idea of being on-call triggering. By March 2020, I had a five-month-old and a two-year-old when we went into the first COVID lockdown in Australia. Work was crazy and I was doing it entirely from home with both kids. In August of that year, our third vet quit and my ex's behaviour became more alarming. I thought it was burnout and a heavier workload. We were years into the regional vet shortage with zero chance of recruiting anytime soon. I begged him to stop, slow down and turn clients away. It's hard to say exactly what was happening at that time, partly because I want to respect my family's privacy and partly because I still struggle to fully comprehend it myself. When I describe it to friends, I use the boiling frog analogy. It's basically an urban legend that claims frogs can't sense a slow change in water temperature. If you plunge them into boiling water, they'll immediately jump out. But if you put them in room temperature water and slowly bring it to the boil, the frog won't notice and will cook to death. At that time from COVID onwards, my ex was always at work. When he was home, it was starting to be a bit weird and sometimes chaotic. When I look back, I wonder how I missed what was really going on, but the water temperature changed really gradually. And life being difficult and chaotic also made sense in a way. We had a baby and a toddler, a booming vet clinic with half the number of vets we needed in the middle of a pandemic. I was completely overloaded too with really little kids and keeping the business functioning through massive growth. I was doing accounts, admin, payroll, training programs, team restructuring, position descriptions, marketing, crazy. I think of my ex like the frog in boiling water too, working himself harder and harder over the years. If it weren't for the vet shortage, he wouldn't have had to. But he made up for our vet shortage by letting his workload slowly ratchet up to a toxic, an almost fatal level, adjusting to the change in temperature bit by bit, oblivious to the fact it was literally killing him, refusing to turn away clients or sell the business. By November 2020, things deteriorated to the point that I realised my then-husband had developed a substance use disorder. He stopped working and we got help for him. I knew we had to sell the business for him to recover and I'd been wanting this for years. Ten days after learning of the substance use disorder, I made the difficult decision to immediately move the kids and I 1,600 kilometres south to the Sunshine Coast where my brother lives. I can't explain what those 10 days were like, but I'll be forever grateful to my friends up north, Nikki and Catherine, and my ex's brother, who got us through. It was a dark time. There were a few days that I couldn't eat or swallow fluids, but was trying to act totally normal for the boys. I distinctly remember feeling like I was basically falling backwards into like a mosh pit. 
hoping that the hands of my friends and family would reach up and pass me along safely. All I could do was parent and I tried to do that as normally as I could. I remember one surreal night in the thick of those 10 days, my brother-in-law was helping me put the boys to bed. I threw imaginary pixie dust on everyone and we all grew imaginary wings and flew around the house before bed, like nothing was wrong. There were multiple huge factors that led to that day 10 decision to move that I won't go into for the privacy of my family, but on day 11, the boys and I were on the plane. I had two suitcases, their car seats, my backpack and laptop, and one small wooden aeroplane each. We went from our four-bedroom house on acreage that we had just finished a seven-year renovation on to the guest bedroom at my brother's house with no high chair, no potty, one toy each, and the three of us in one bed. And yet the first night at their house, I slept better than I had in a long time. My brother and his family took us in at no notice in the same week that my niece graduated, turned 18, and sat her final high school exam. I was a completely shattered human with a 14-month-old and three-year-old in tow. There are not many people in your life who will do that for you, and I could not have survived without them. The boys were oblivious to what was happening. I told my eldest we were going on a holiday. We spent a week at my brother's house getting my head straight, working with our accountant and lawyer on selling the business, and figuring out how to keep the clinic rolling. From there, we moved into a holiday apartment in Malulaba for four weeks. The Sunshine Coast was in an unprecedented rental crisis, plus COVID restrictions, and you couldn't apply for a property without inspecting it. It was December, really hot, and I didn't have my car. Even if I could get us to an inspection on a bus, I couldn't take the boys in with me thanks to the one-person-only COVID rule. Thankfully, my brother and sister-in-law found me a rental through their networks. In the meantime, I was running our vet clinic by night, sitting at my laptop in the kitchen of the Malulabar apartment and trying to sell the business, which involved due diligence, accounting, strategy and negotiation, all at a time when I just wanted to curl up in a ball and cry and sleep. In hindsight, the distraction of parenting and work was possibly a good thing. I was numb and had no tears yet anyway. My brain wasn't letting me process the full scale of what was happening. But I knew I was a strong person and that I could do hard things, so I just pushed through. The boys had the time of their lives in that apartment and still asked me to take them on holiday to Malulaba. The first day we arrived, I bought them a bucket and a shovel each on the esplanade and took them across the road to the rock pools. The waves. Yeah, the waves. Waves. As I watched them play in the water and explore the rock pools, I experienced a deep knowing for the first time that we were going to be okay and that our new life on the Sunshine Coast could be even better. I soaked up the sun, sand, water and salt and felt like the beach was fixing me, like it was medicinal. The kids and I moved into our rental house on the 23rd of December, just in time for Christmas. I felt a huge weight lift having somewhere to live. I started the new year reconnecting with old Southeast Queensland friends and my Dubmarine family. As hard as life was, I could also see how amazing it was going to be. My ex was also looking forward to moving to the Sunshine Coast, even though I had made the difficult decision to end our marriage. 
Unfortunately, some of the symptoms of substance use disorder can erode trust. Considerable destruction was caused before it became obvious to him that he couldn't fix the problem on his own. My ex is recovering well after realising that he needed help. He was eventually capable of seeing the problem for what it was and was able to be convinced to get the treatment he needed. He's worked hard and is now doing much better. He's back at work and remorseful for the destruction his illness caused. I've learned a lot about substance use disorder since his diagnosis and can now separate the actions as symptoms of a disease rather than him as a person or anything that defines him. He was and is a good person and a great dad. He's a survivor of the veterinary industry and my kids are blessed to be able to grow up with their dad. His disease had a devastating impact on me too and I've also sought help for PTSD and I'm doing much better. The scary thing for me is, having seen the devastating effect on my ex of him trying to keep up with the demands of our business and industry and the personal cost he paid and that his family paid. And this was in a business where we were proactive about mental wellness and looking after our team. Having always had open conversations on Radio Vet Nurse about wellness and the big issues in the industry, I feel compelled to speak up and start an honest conversation. the blessing of my ex to do so and his permission to speak about him to the limited extent that I have. We live five minutes from each other and co-parent our beautiful boys. We're still a team and always will be. I didn't know if I could stay in the vet industry. I wasn't sure if I could earn enough as a single parent or if I'd find it triggering. I managed to sell our business and the contract went through in early 2021 on the same day I started work as the vet nurse manager at the Animal Emergency Service on the Sunshine Coast. I was still very raw. In my interview, I cried when I talked about my team who I loved but didn't get to say goodbye to. Apart from Nikki and Catherine, I didn't say goodbye to anyone up north. I was very honest and apologetic about my life, but my manager made me stop feeling bad about it and let me know she was thrilled to be able to help me at this time. So did my director. I was lucky to land where I did and have become part of the AES family since. I'm glad I'm still here and I've used the last 18 months to get back on my feet, to heal and think about what happened and what is happening. I'm ready to talk. One of my favourite quotes comes from Desmond Tutu and he says that there comes a point where we need to stop pulling people out of the river We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in. And that's where this podcast series comes in. Not only will I be exploring the vet industry crises we are currently living in, the crisis that led to the recent destruction in my life, but I'll also be speaking with some of the brightest brains in the industry to work out how we get through it. We'll look at the big changes that are needed as well as the things we can do as individuals. We will show the leadership that's needed in solving this. We will have a solution to this. It'll be a quantum change and a watershed moment. I'm so focused and energised at the moment about what the opportunities are for Mm. our industry that lay ahead. Mm -hmm. We actually are on the precipice of something potentially really amazing. If you're that one person in the clinic trying to make a difference, stand tough. 
make that little change because you never know how your little revolution is affecting others and it can you know be that slight difference that gives someone else the courage to step up and say look I want to do the same. Thanks for joining me on Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted. This series may be uncomfortable at times, but I really believe the disruption is here and I thank you for joining me on the journey. I would like to thank Vetakinol for their exclusive sponsorship of this episode. Coming up in the next episode, I will be zooming out and taking a look at what's going on in the industry more generally. You've heard my story and now it's time to hear from some of the industry's most influential people on what they see as the big picture problems and solutions. Thank you for joining me. Support for Radio Vet Nurse Interrupted comes from Vetakinol. Vetakinol's contribution to the veterinary industry includes prescription and over-the-counter products, diagnostics, services, digital tools, and importantly, partnerships. Their three corporate values, trust, dare, and collaborate, work in synergy towards their mantra, achieve more together. Interrupted explores proactive ways forward for the veterinary industry, many of which align with those three Vetakinol values, trust, dare, and collaborate. Thank you, Vetakinol, for trusting me enough to dare to create this project. This collaboration helped me, a single parent vet nurse manager, make it financially possible to deliver this series to the global veterinary community. Without a doubt, we have achieved more together.